0: Ask any Irishman. When you plan a visit to Ireland, they say you just have to make time for its rugged western coast. The scenery is magnificent,
1: and the atmosphere you'll find on High Street in Galway makes that a good place to start. It's a street that's full of life, with buskers out singing their songs and playing their instruments. Coming up, Irish tour guides offer advice for exploring their island. Even if you only have a week to spare,
0: they agree you should cross the border into Northern Ireland as well.
2: If you see the north contrasted with the south and read about the history of it, you you get a much fuller view of, well, historical perspective of Irish history. There's also a Celtic side to France, a bit off the coast
0: of Cork, in the region of Brittany. People welcome you in. People accept you into their culture. They're open to the outside. They are the end of the world. Come along as we embrace the Celtic world from Galway to St. Malo in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. As a small country, you can see many of the highlights of Ireland in a week. So, where are the really special corners of the Emerald Island that you just gotta see? In just a bit, we'll get field-tested advice from Irish tour guides to help you plan the perfect getaway once international travel is safe again. And we'll venture over to a nearby corner of France to hear how Brittany offers its own brand of Celtic heritage and customs. Today's interviews were recorded a few weeks before the COVID pandemic lockdowns changed all our travel plans. We're at 877-333-RIC. For the quintessence of Ireland, head to the far west, the city of Galway, the rocky and desolate region called the Burren and the dramatic Cliffs of Moher, and then, off the coast, the romantic and remote Aran Islands. To stoke our travel dreams and to answer our questions as we consider the scenic west of Ireland with Galway as our springboard, we're joined in our studio by two Irish guides, Stephen McPhillamy and Pascal Fitzpatrick. Stephen and Pascal, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. You know, every corner of Ireland has its scenic thrills and it's filled with local colour, that's for sure. What's unique and special about the West? Pascal?
1: It's the coastline. It's the rugged coastline, the the beauty of it, and the people that live on the West. It's just a fantastic area. How how would the people of the West be distinguished? Because all the Irish people are welcoming, I think.
3: Yeah, well, they always say the West of every country is a bit wild Westish, and the West of Ireland is especially so... The people are lively there, and their, their dancing is a bit more energetic, I think. they Slightly less conservative over there, you know, more liberal maybe in every okay. way. And as Pascal said, the land is rugged, and I think that's reflected in the personalities of the people there.
0: Nice. Now, if you had three days in the West, how would you prioritize? What would you do, just very briefly?
3: Well, I definitely would include Galway City. I like Galway. It's a good gateway to Connemara region, north of Galway, and it's a good gateway to the Aran Islands. And it's also a good base for exploring the Burren and the Cliffs of Moher.
0: Okay, so those are the big sites and to get there, um Pascal from Dublin, how how accessible is Galloway?
1: It's very accessible now. There's a new motorway you could drive if you're hiring a car, you could be there in two hours. There's also a train from Dublin that'll get you up to Galway as well. Or if you fly into Shannon in County Clare, you can also get the train or the bus up under an hour. So it's very accessible. It is very
0: accessible. And then Galway, as Stephen said, would be your springboard. That's really the only city of any size out there.
1: It is in that region. It is definitely. It's a big city for Ireland, just under 80,000, but a very walkable city. You can get around it in foot very easily. Take me on a quick little walk. What would you see? What's it like? I would start off at the top of Air Square, beautiful little JFK park there mm-hmm. and then head down... JFK, oh, John F. Kennedy Park. He was, yeah. He, he JFK came there in 63 and mm-hmm. made a very powerful speech in the park. So mm-hmm. the park was named after him. And then? And then I would walk down what was known as High Street. This street changes name as you're walking down but it's High Street, Shop Street and then down to Key Street. There's some fantastic things to explore on that street from restaurants to bars for the trad music and it's a street that's full of life with buskers out singing their songs and playing their instruments. And that's just a fantastic street to explore.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Galway in the west of Ireland. Our guides are Stephen McPhillamy and Pascal Fitzpatrick. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Ed's calling in from Santa Clarita in California.
4: Hi, Rick. Hello, gentlemen. How are you all?
0: Hi, Ed. How are you? Greetings, really, Ed. Have you been to Galway?
4: I've been to Galway two or three times. Uh, once by motor coach and twice by train I must say that it's one of the most delightful towns in the entire country not quite as crowded as say Dublin or even Cork or Belfast but uh, just a lively city lots of cafes lots of bars very friendly and lots of things to do just a very enchanting place to visit
0: so specifically what were some of the things you did there that you enjoyed
4: We came in on the train around lunchtime, so the first thing we did was uh, take a stroll down, uh, down the high street, and we found a nice little cafe, and I think we had a couple of sandwiches. And then after that, of course, we had to follow that up with a pint at the local pub. Actually, we just spent about three to four hours just walking the city. It's a very good town for strolling and uh, window shopping and visiting the locals.
0: Steamy eateries, great music in the pubs, and down by the uh, harbor front or the, the riverside, it's just like a little park, and on a nice day, people are out picnicking. It's just a, it's a festival of life.
4: It's a great place it just to
0: people watch. It's pretty youthful, isn't it, Ed?
4: It is very youthful. If I'm not mistaken, gentlemen, you'll probably correct me, it is a college town, correct? That's it right, is
0: not yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. plenty of students there
4: oh yeah very young crowd and but a very lively place as well i would just say that it's a uh, very friendly and very enchanting and uh lots of things to do and a, a great place to spend the day but if i had it to do over again i would probably spend the night and uh visit mm-hmm. more of the scenery there
0: i think what i'm picking up from all three of you is that it's lively on the streets there's not a lot of earth-shaking sights, no museums you just have to see it's just uh, there's a an energy there and it's a good practical springboard for venturing beyond that. Stephen, does that make sense to you from a sightseeing point of view?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Galway's a city that you have to just experience. You've got to stay there to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you I mean, you have to, you know, experience the people and the restaurants and everything, but it's a great base for getting up into Connemara. What would yeah. you do on a day trip up to Connemara? Well, I'd head north into a village called Cong, uh-huh. C-O-N-G, about one hour north of Galway.
0: Could you make like a one-day a one day road trip uh, looping out north from Galway?
3: Absolutely. You could head up to Cong and then on into what's called Kylemore Abbey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of referred to as Ireland's Taj Mahal. It's this glorious, majestic building out in the beautiful, wild Connemara Mountains. There's peat bogs there. You'll see people cutting turf by hand. Occasionally, there's lovely lakes and forests and mountains. And then you can come back in via the coast down by a town called Clifton. And you're going through villages there in the Gaeltocht, which are Irish-speaking to a large extent. So a Gaeltacht
0: specifically, what is that?
3: Uh, that's a, a region or area designated for protection by the Irish government because they speak the Irish language or the Gaelic language there. Uh-huh. So they actually do speak Gaelic as their first language in some of these countries. Yeah, in no, small pockets, of course, not right. huge amounts, but right. uh, in Galway City and in the region, there'll be plenty of people well able to speak the language, and you will hear it being spoken, thankfully. You'll but, see
0: signs in two languages. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. All right, well, there's a good idea. Getting back to Galway in the evening, because there's great pub music and nice restaurants there and so on.
3: Yeah, and it's also a good base for going
0: out to the Aran Islands. There's three lovely islands out in the bay. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Ed, thanks for your call. You're quite welcome. Take care. Don's on the line, calling in from San Francisco.
5: Hi, Rick. Good to speak to you again.
0: Yeah, nice to talk to you. What's your um, thoughts on the the highlights of the west of Ireland?
5: Well, from Galway, uh, I'm so glad that I went to Inishmore. I took your advice and went to Inishmore.
0: So that's the Aran Islands that Stephen was just starting to talk about. Uh, And and you went to the big island, Inishmore?
5: Inishmore, and the best thing about it was I slept over. Because most people just go over on a day trip, they get their bicycles, and they they head one way, but I went the other way because I had all day. I just went away from the crowds. But that night I was in a pub and everybody spoke Gaelic. It was amazing.
0: So the tourists all took the boat back to Galway, and they made their day trips, and then you stayed the night, and you become one of the uh, special travelers that really get to know the locals.
5: Exactly. It was really fantastic, and the place I stayed was right next to, near the pub, and there were two donkeys in the front yard. Huh. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't ask for better.
0: I think I know that place. There's not a lot of pubs with a couple of donkeys in the front yard. Inishmore is small, isn't it, Pascal?
5: It is. It is, and the bicycle is, is the way to go.
0: So uh, tell us, uh, Donna, just what did you do to fill a day when you were on this little island off the west coast of Ireland?
5: I spent the whole day on the bicycle. I just went around, and there's a couple of forts there, Dun- Duningus, I think it's called. Duningus
1: Fort, yes. Yeah.
5: And there's another one which I liked even better. I think the Black Fort.
3: Oh, that's right. Uh, that's hard to get to, but if you can find it <laughs> and make the effort, it's well worth it. So, Stephen, it tell incredible. us about
0: tell us about Duningus, Stephen, as a, as a tour guide, because this is just a spectacular sight.
3: Yeah, it's a real blockbuster up at the top of a cliff. It's basically like the Cliffs of Moher with a a fort on top of it and it's a semi-circular fort. Some people say that it was a circular fort that fell into the ocean. That never happened but you could imagine that happening. It looks like half a fort on the cliff. Yeah, it's really dramatic up there and just beautiful and people sort of they crawl to the edge and they look over and hundreds of feet sheer drop down
0: into this wild Atlantic. And Can you still do that? Because at the Cliffs of more. they keep the tourists back now. You can
3: still do it. And yes. you're looking, Not saying you should do it, no, but you can but still do it. No, but you're looking
0: straight down at the birds and the surf and it's literally straight down that cliff. Oh, it's just putting shivers it's in my, right back now, my neck right, right now. Right now, I'm getting, it. I'm just shaking. Yeah. It's so beautiful and exciting. And how
3: old is that fort? Uh, it's um, Iron Age fort, so it's probably two and a half, three thousand years old. It's so old that we don't even know what ever happened there. Was it a fort? Was it a, a residence? Was it a place of worship and ritual? It just goes back so far into our ancient history.
0: Wow. The imagination can run wild. And Don, what was the highlight for you of going to the uh, Erin Islands?
5: Really, that bike ride. Yeah. When I got to, there was some little church, like the ruins of a church. It's just so remote. It's, it really is incredible, and you can get away from the tourists.
0: It's humble. It's humble. I mean, the people were were so poor, and, and the and the landscape was so bleak. Pascal, they had to make their own dirt, didn't they, when they were they farming? They did
1: indeed. And it's just, it's like going back in time when you go over there and you're cycling around on your bicycle and you're seeing the horse and cart coming at you. It's it, it's fantastic. But it's part of the barn, or It used to be an extension of the burn, so there there wasn't very much earth there. So the farmers used to take the stones away, and you see lots of stone walls and build make a field out of basically seaweed and sand. Very,
0: very hard work. So you get the seaweed and, and the sand, you mix together, you wait for it to rot and you that, can grow your potatoes. That's it. That's and then it. you don't I, starve. All you wanted to do was not starve. I didn't survive. That was Whoa. it. Thank you for your call, Don.
5: Okay, Rick. Thank Ta- you.
0: Take care. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Galway in the west of Ireland. Our guides are Pascal Fitzpatrick and Stephen McPhillamy. And I'd like to finish our conversation just with a little bit of advice on traditional music, because the beautiful way to cap your experience in Ireland, especially in the West, is to go to a pub and enjoy some trad. What would your tip be for a place to go and an experience to have very quickly in the West of Ireland? Stephen McPhillamy.
3: My top three would be Galway City Centre, great pubs there. Doolin is seen as one of the epicenters of Irish music, as is Ennis, which is only... An hour away by car or by, by bus. Doolin,
0: D O O L I N, and N S E N N I S. And Pascal, in one of those towns at a pub, describe the scene that makes it worth the trip.
1: If you walk into a bar in Doolin, for instance, it's a small little village, you'd walk in, you'd see the hearth fire over in the corner with the peat, the turfs burning away. The smell of that is a very, very unique smell. And maybe it could be an open session. You could have five or six musicians just sitting around, playing their instruments, singing the song. And then you hear people chatting and talking to each other and just having what we would say a good night's crack. And suddenly they'll hush the pub down. A musician will go, shh, shh, shh And they'll hush the pub down and somebody sitting there will just stand up and sing a song. That's just something really, really unique about Ireland. I this think. would good be an Irish acapella sport. song. Yes. So yeah.
0: everybody's quiet, no just more musicians. No more
1: musicians, nobody talking and just hearing them sing.
0: And that song might tell a story. What might the theme of that song be?
1: Oh, it could... We tell our history through our music. And it's a kind
0: of communion together. Everybody
1: is one. Yeah. It's a really, really special moment when that happens in a bar. I love it. Galway,
0: the west coast of Ireland. It's really a wonderful way to round out your experience in Ireland. Pascal Fitzpatrick, Stephen McFillamy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Rick. Go to heart. Thank
3: you. Come all you thirsty tourists and travellers everywhere. Shall I sing to you a verse to In a grand old Irish air
0: Stephen returns with Big Liam, a singing friend from Blarney. They'll celebrate Irish song traditions on next week's Travel with Rick Steves. Now that we know that Galway has to be in our travel plans, let's work on the rest of our Irish itinerary in just a minute. And then we pop over to Brittany for a swig of cider and another serving of Celtic pride. We're at 877-333-7425 on travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves, and I love art. And in my new book, Europe's Top One Hundred Masterpieces, I share my favorites with gorgeous photos and vivid descriptions. It's all in Europe's Top One Hundred Masterpieces: Art for the Traveler. It's available now at ricksteves.com.
2: Hello, my name is Barry Maloney from County Cork on the south coast of Ireland. I have a good one about uh, Irish-Scottish-English. Mm-hmm. It's a quote by George Orwell. Kind of sums it up. He said, The English are not happy unless they're miserable.
1: The Irish are not at peace unless they're at war. And the Scots are not at home unless they're abroad.
0: Boy, that's thought-provoking.
1: So There's yeah, some yeah, truth there to that.
0: <laughs> Barry, did you have another one?
1: A common question is, what's the English impression of the Irish?
0: Yeah. And they always look at us with a kind of a bit of a puzzlement, you know? Winston Churchill summed that up. He said, we've always found the Irish a bit odd. They refuse to be English. <laughs> so there you go. The people you meet in Ireland will say that a week is never enough. But with a bit of planning and the advice of professional Irish tour guides, we can expect to have a lot of fun enjoying the sights and tastes that Ireland has to offer, even if your travel plans only allow for seven days. Our guides are Paul Corkin from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and Kiran O'Hare is an Irish-American, who attended Trinity College in Dublin, and he's an expert in the Irish bagpipes. In fact, Ciarán performs in the Irish Folk Trio Open the Door for Three. A reminder that our interview was recorded a few weeks prior to the first COVID-related lockdowns and travel bans. Paul, if you had a friend visiting for seven days in Ireland, the entire island, and you've got limited
2: time, admittedly,
0: what would you put as a priority for the first week in Ireland?
2: The priority for me would be to see both the North and the South. And it's not just because I'm from the North that I'm going to say that, although I am. Mm -hmm. But the North is really worth seeing. And I think if you see the North contrasted with the South and read about the history of it, you you get a much fuller view of, well, historical perspective of Irish history.
0: Yeah. All my my days as a tour organizer, I've had, as a matter of sort of principle, I I want people to see the whole of Ireland. and That means the Republic and the North. And Mm -hmm. it's easier than ever now. I mean, there's a huge fast connection from Dublin to Belfast. How long does the train take? Two hours. Two hours. Mm-hmm. So you could make Belfast a day trip from Dublin Absolutely. if that's all the time mm-hmm. you had. Yeah. Okay, you're going to see the north and the south. What are you going to see? What, what? Give me five sights.
2: I would start in Belfast, uh-huh. spend a couple of days there, then I would move south. Mm-hmm. But I would also see the Giant's Causeway because it's the UNESCO Heritage Site, the most visited thing in Northern Ireland, and it's absolutely spectacular. It's much better in reality than it is reading about it in books.
0: The Giant's Causeway, this is sort of a geological site. You've got it this is, hexagonal yes. basalt columns. Hexagonal
2: ba- basalt columns created by a lava flow. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. And it's absolutely spectacular. So that's a day trip from Belfast up to the north coast, which gotcha. isn't very far. I mean, mm-hmm. Ireland is so small, that's the beauty of it. It's about three hundred miles long, about one hundred and fifty miles wide. So it's really easy to travel.
0: Okay, so you hop on the train from Belfast. Two hours later you're in Dublin. a Couple days there. You got a few couple more days in Dublin. a few, yep. few more days.
2: Where are you going to mm-hmm. go? I would go down to the little fishing port of Kinsale. You're getting away from the big city. Well, big city in Irish terms. And you're going down to a wee small village.
6: I love Kinsale. It's beautiful. It's on the really south coast. Attractive.
0: Kieran. Where would you go? What would you prioritize with a week in Ireland?
6: Well, I couldn't agree more with Paul about the idea of spending some time um, in Northern Ireland, Mm -hmm. Um, not just because of the beauty of a place like the Giant's Causeway or the vibrancy of a city like Belfast, but certainly... Uh, Northern Ireland has historical ramifications for people in America of Irish descent from whatever mm-hmm. community their ancestors came from. So, going to Belfast or you know any trip to the Giant's Causeway will take in rural countryside like the Glens of Antrim and places of extreme mm-hmm. beauty. And from you know if I were to go to Kinsale, I would certainly after that beautiful town in County Cork, um, I would head up. I think Galway, for example, would be a great base of operations. It's a gateway to Connemara, um, the great Irish-speaking region uh, west of the city of Galway, and also easy access to places like the Cliffs of Moher, probably the most fantastic natural wonder in Ireland in terms of a geological formation. Mm -hmm. You have access to traditional music in the pubs of County Clare and of Galway, and Mm -hmm. from there, you know, you could craft trips up as far as Westport in the heart of Connacht. In places like that. So to, to the north of Galway. To the north of Galway. So, you know, mm-hmm. if we're okay. talking about seven days, you've got a day, day and a half in Belfast, day, day or two in Dublin, and then, Go you to know, the west. And go to the west, absolutely. Yeah, so much to see in the west. The uh, west's awake. I
0: would say there's four major cities, Belfast, Dublin, Galway, and Cork. And of those four, I'd say the best three would be the first three, I said, with Cork in fourth place. If you had to choose the top three, would you agree with that? I would agree. So, and from Galway, you get all of these beautiful places nearby. When we are thinking about traveling to Ireland, there's, I believe, three major airports. You could fly into Belfast, you could fly into the west.
2: Belfast, Dublin, and Shannon, which is in the west, yeah.
0: And it's a small island, but you save yourself a lot of headache and expense by choosing the right airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can factor that in. If you're considering the weather, it's a small island. I think the weather's miserable everywhere.
2: Well, you don't go to Ireland for the weather. (laughs) Nobody does that. (laughs) You don't go to Ireland for the weather. You go to Ireland... You go to Ireland
0: despite the weather. You're thankful for the rain because it wouldn't be the Emerald Island without the rain. Exactly. If we want balance, we've talked about the north and the south. We've talked about the two big cities, Dublin and Belfast. If we're thinking of the south coast, uh, Paul, you were talking about Kinsale, yes. which is a, a food capital, isn't it?
2: Yes, it, it was a gourmet capital, which started up in the 1970s. Uh, they started opening restaurants. So it's a little village of about two or 3,000 people, which swells to about 9,000 in the summer. And there's about 50 restaurants in that little town.
0: And, you know, it was the self-proclaimed gourmet capital of Ireland, but it really deserves it. The food, it's so fun to be there for a few days just to eat your way through Kinsale. Mm -hmm. It's also got a lot of impressive military history.
2: Oh, it has. It's got a gigantic uh, star-shaped fort. A star-shaped a star fort. A star-shaped fort, yeah, which yeah. is a, the ideal shape, apparently, for defense, which was only ever used once when it didn't work because they weren't attacked from the sea, they were attacked from the land. But,
0: but maybe that's a, a testimony to how good it was. Nobody even would bother nobody attacking it. To, nobody did. Could not to. get in there.
2: But it's also the site of one of the most famous battles in Irish history at the start of the 1600s, the Battle of Conceal, which has ramifications if we had all day I could tell you all about it uh-huh. ramifications for the division of, of Northern Ireland for example
0: we don't have time to talk about it because it's a whole other interview but it's basically the tragic end of the the end of the Gaelic era
2: the end of the Gaelic era
0: helping us plan a week in Ireland on travel with Rick Steves our Irish American musician and tour guide Kieran O'Hare and Paul Corkin who comes from Belfast in Northern Ireland when we think about the south coast of Ireland I think we've got the Ring of Kerry yeah, and then there's uh, another ring. What is the the town that's the home base for that? Kenmare.
2: Kenmare okay, is the start of it, yeah. But there's yeah. also Dingle. And Dingle Peninsula. Yeah, Kenmare is in Galway, which was fantastic city. I think I would go for somewhere smaller than that because we've done Belfast, we've done Dublin. Yeah. I think I would stay somewhere small like uh, Dingle. Dingle Peninsula. So the touristic
0: favorite is the Ring of Kerry. Yeah. But you can do a scenic drive around the Dingle Peninsula and have pretty much the same dramatic scenery.
2: You can go around the Sleigh Head Drive as it's called, which is about a 30-mile drive. Yeah. So you can do it easily in a couple of hours, but you want to spend more time than that and stop and look at all the beautiful bays that you see and you can see Skellig Michael, which is also another UNESCO heritage site. People but know Skellig Michael. I'd it's say. the most
0: dramatic little perch. It's a little teepee-shaped rock out in the middle of the wild mm-hmm. sea. It is. Yep. And uh, it reminds me that in the Dark Ages, when almost nobody in Europe could read or write, you had uh, literate monks in the west coast of Ireland.
2: Well, yes. I mean, that's part of the history of Ireland. That uh, Because we didn't suffer a Roman invasion, when the Roman Empire fell and the Dark Ages descended upon Europe, Ireland was sending out monks to go and re-evangelize the rest of Europe which had fallen into the dark ages.
0: The island of saints and scholars. Mm. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Josh is calling from San Carlos in California. Josh, thanks for your call.
5: Hey, thanks for having me. About 15 years ago, I had the good pleasure of uh, using your guidebook for a two-week solo trip from Dublin out uh, out west to Shannon. Fifteen years on, I'm married and have two kids. And uh, our next trip we'd like to do together is Ireland. Any recommendations for uh, family traveling with kids under
2: 10? Karen, Paul, any ideas? Well, there are places called Centre Parks, for example, which you can go to and you can spend a couple of days there and it's just set up for kids. I've never been to one of these, but uh, I've got a brother-in-law and a sister who have and they say it's absolutely fantastic to take them there, the swimming pools and all that. But a lot of the pubs in rural Ireland are kid-friendly. And you don't need to worry about that. You can take them in, they can sit quite happily. Um, There's lots of beaches every kid loves a beach. I've never met a kid yet who doesn't love a beach and if you go to somewhere like Donegal for example you will get five miles of beach with nobody on it and it's absolutely fantastic.
0: Josh, when you go to Dingle Peninsula which a lot of people with my guidebooks go because I love the place it really is an amazing thing to go out there on the way to Blasket Islands and yes, I, I would take kids to Blasket Islands it's a ghost town and on a little island uh, with a bunch of rabbits running around yeah. and seals and uh, lots of history. And how old uh, are
2: your kids, Josh, uh, 9 and 6 9 and 6 well they're old enough to be taught a little bit about Irish history and the culture and uh-huh. how the Irish went off to America and darker side as well you know famine and the great and, hunger things and, like and, that
0: and, and Josh I'd like to um, affirm what Paul mentioned about the pubs when my kids were 9 and 6 we went into the pubs you know we'd sit and enjoy our beer with our friends and the kids would be making friends and playing on the pool table
2: so, uh, it makes a
5: the, lot of sense, yeah. That, that was my experience there uh, a while back. You know, they're such friendly places and often have such great music, too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, hey.
2: and they also sell beer, which is a really good feature of Irish pubs.
5: <laughs> you know it. what? So it's Again, good fun it's for the, the adults. it's just a bit better there, you bet. <laughs> for good Well, they
0: certainly don't keep the kids out, so there's plenty of opportunities <laughs> to get together with all the generations uh, with a pub for the roof. Hey, uh, Josh, thanks for your call. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Kieran O'Hare and Paul Kirkin about the best of Ireland and Ashley's calling from Riverview, Florida.
7: Yes, uh, a couple of years ago, back in 2017, we went to Ireland. Uh, my husband and a couple friends of, and I, we loved it. We had such a blast. I, the thing I would recommend the most, if you can, is rent a car. Because we rented a car in um, Dublin and we drove all the way around to um, Camara and we went down to Dingle. Did the Ring of Kerry and then came back around up to Dublin. It was just amazing. I loved the Burn. That was my favorite mm. place. So that what we visited now, the
0: Burn is that rocky, sort of desolate, god-forsaken piece of land south <laughs> of Galway. When the closer you look at it, the more life it's got in it. How did you enjoy the Burn? How were you struck by the Burn?
7: Uh, just the landscape was so different, and just driving through there, um, it was just so quiet and so peaceful, and just really, really pretty.
0: Um, now, in Ireland, do you drive on the the British side of the road, right? We drive on the right you side said, of the road, the, okay, the left. the left. <laughs> <laughs> With your sword hand on the inside. Ashley, were you okay driving on the correct side of the road, which we Americans uh, would have to get used to?
7: Yes, we had no issues. We had a little. It was a little scary when we got off the highway, some of the rural, small country roads. We had a fight with some of the tour buses a little bit, like yeah. You, when we realized we had to back up and then kind of get into the divot on the side of the road, you know, but really we didn't have too many problems at all.
0: You can't be aggressive on the roads if you're a tourist, especially. Mm-hmm. You've just got to relax. You use the pullouts. Uh, it's very scenic. Take your time. I find it's. It's kind of nerve-wracking to be driving in a lot of uh, Ireland if you're trying to get anywhere in a hurry. Just take your time. And it does turn out that driving is more convenient than public transportation, I find, because Dublin is kind of the hub. And if you're going across the grain, you're going to not have the the greatest uh, flexibility in, in schedule. It can be done but if you have your own car, I think it goes better. Uh, Karen, any advice for people driving in Ireland? Um,
6: I think a lot of Americans tend to be very intimidated by that, and really the brain takes just a little bit, in my experience, to get used to having, You're know, basically, the pedals are where they're supposed to be, the mm-hmm. wheels where it's supposed to be relative to the pedals, and the only thing that's different is you might be shifting with your left hand rather than your right. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. also, even if something goes wrong, know that it's a rite of passage for American drivers to knock off at least one of the side <laughs> mirrors on their car while they're driving in Ireland. <laughs> okay, so so you might want to get mirror
0: insurance, I suppose. <laughs> perhaps, well. perhaps, You know, one thing I would highly recommend is not renting your car for Belfast or Dublin. If you're going to see the big cities, see them outside of your car rental time, connect it with the train, and then pick up your car Fabulous. to advice. take off on your own. Ashley, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you. Carol's calling in from Canby in Oregon. Carol, thanks for your call.
7: Yes, thanks for taking it. We are doing a home exchange. We've never been to Ireland before. And we're exchanging with someone who has a home in Donegal, in Northern Ireland. Uh So we're flying into Dublin, and it really dovetails to your last question. We were wondering, should we rent a car? Where should we rent a car? What's the best way to do this?
0: So you're going to Donegal, and Donegal is the far northwest of Ireland, is that right?
7: Exactly, yes. Yeah. And from there, we, because we'll be staying at this home, we're going to drive to Galway. We do want to see quite a few sites in Ireland, but we weren't sure should we get it at the airport. What, what are the steps?
6: Kieran,
0: what, what would your advice be
6: for Carol? Well, I would say absolutely consider flying into Shannon Airport and hiring the car there uh, because you can spend, oh, okay. if you hire the car in Shannon Airport, you're not driving straight into a bustling metropolis like Dublin trying to get used to the, you know, we're driving on a different side of the road. You're in a country place and you can drive easily. You know, you go straight north from there to get to Donegal in the car. And whether, I don't know where you're staying in Donegal, but Donegal is very, very rural and very, places sparsely, are very populated. sparsely populated. So a car is okay. probably a sine qua non, I would say. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you did
0: Dublin, you could do Dublin. You could take the train to Galway, do Galway without a car, and pick up your car in Galway, and you'd be out in the Absolutely. countryside too. Carol, it sounds like you're going to have a great time. And you're, you're, uh, oh, it, yeah. it's beautiful to be settling down in Donegal because that's, Donegal is fantastic. Tell tell us about Donegal, Paul.
2: Well, we live straight across from Donegal. If you go on a straight line across from Belfast, you arrive in Donegal, and we go to a little cottage Mm -hmm. out in the west... And one of our favourite things, my wife and I, is to wait until it really rains and the rain comes lashing down. You put on all your clothes, all your wet gear, and you walk at mm-hmm. 45 degrees to the horizontal to the pub, which is 45 <laughs> minutes away, and Guinness never tasted better. We like it the worse the weather, the more we love it. There's deserted beaches. You've got the Sleeve League cliffs, which are three times as high as the Cliffs of Moore. It's called the Forgotten oh. County because it's tucked in on the western side of the Northern Irish border, so it's geographically mm-hmm. a little bit isolated. And therefore, they feel they've been a little bit forgotten over the years by the central government in Dublin. But it's Uh amazing.
7: Perfect. Oh well, this has been so helpful. Thank you very, very much.
2: Great, Carol. Have a great time.
0: Let us know how your trip goes.
7: Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye bye.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Paul Corkin, who reminds us that when the weather's really miserable, the Guinness tastes better. And Karen O'Hare, and we've been talking about Ireland, uh, how to sort out the options in Ireland. I'd like to just finish off with a a practical little insight from each of you. Kieran, for me, the trick to getting the most out of your Irish experience really relates to the pubs, not just drinking beer, but connecting with the culture and being comfortable in that pub scene and connecting with the traditional music. You're a musician, and the American, give us a tip on understanding the pub etiquette and enjoying the music.
6: Absolutely. Well, in a, in a pub in Ireland is more of a social nexus than a tavern. That's sort of a good way to start. So it's not necessarily about drinking your head off. You can get a cup of tea in the pub, you can get a Coke, whatever you want. A lot of pubs serve great food. It's where people and neighbors come together to share news. And But for a tourist, for a traveler in Ireland, it's also a place where you can easily interact with locals who will be happy to see you. And also in many pubs in Ireland, you'll find traditional music, which is a, a part of Irish culture all over the island. People will come together in pubs to sing or play the instrumental dance music of Ireland. It's a great social occasion, and it sort of uh, brings the pub together in a convivial atmosphere, but that's also a moment of cultural preservation and a cultural progression and cultural sharing, and there's nothing really like it here in the United States, and it's very unique, the Irish pub. A critical thing when you stop anywhere in Ireland checking into
0: your B&B or your hotel, ask, where is some pub music tonight? And you can make a lot of friends and enjoy that magic. Exactly. Paul Corkin, you know, there's probably 10 Irishmen in America for every Irishman in Ireland, mm-hmm. considering the diaspora. Yeah. If you're an Irish-American or, or just somebody who wants to learn about that, what would you be sure to see when you go to Ireland?
2: Well, I meet so many American tourists that come over for the, the tours who are looking to just get in touch a little bit with the roots. Now, not doing anything dramatically, you know, going right back 400 years, but up in Belfast, for example, where I suggest you should start your one-week tour, there's the PRONI, as we call it, the Public Records Office of Northern Ireland. Hmm. It's a fantastic resource. You can go in there. It's really well located because it's beside the new visitor center, the Titanic okay. visitor center, which yeah. was built in 2012. And it's right literally next door to that. So it's really handy. When you go down to Dublin, you can go to a wonderful new museum called the EPIC Center. And EPIC, if I memory serves, it stands for Every Person Is Connected. Ah. E-P-I-C, EPIC. But there also you can start researching into your family's history. Unfortunately, an awful lot of the records in Ireland were, were destroyed mm-hmm. during the Civil War just after independence mm. uh, when they burnt down the four courts mm. and thousands and thousands of valuable documents which would have helped in their genealogical research. Well, records are no. The epic
0: is an amazing uh, museum to yeah. celebrate the I- Irish diaspora. Yeah. Paul Corkin, Karen O'Hare, thanks so much for helping us better understand wonderful Ireland.
2: Thank
6: you. It's been a pleasure.
2: All aboard for the sightseeing tour from Galway to Dublin. All aboard.
6: Hold it, hold it! Marianne is coming up the street. Hold
2: what? Put Marianne in the baggage car. I
6: know.
2: All aboard.
6: I know.
0: It's a Celtic region with a French accent. Let's explore Brittany. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves. We're heading to Brittany next in France, and its heart is definitely Celtic. Instead of the green, white, and orange you'll see on Irish flags, the national flags here are blue, white, and red. Brittany is one of the six Celtic nations, and its Breton language is starting to be taught again in bilingual schools. Though I hear the number of native Breton speakers has declined thanks to government policies that used to discourage it. Tour guide Patrick Vidal lives in Brittany, and joins us now for an insider's view of the Celtic corner of France and the regional pride it instills in its residents. Patrick, bonjour. You're very welcome. Bonjour, Rick. Do, do people actually speak a Celtic language in Brittany anymore, or is it something that's sort of a way that you can celebrate the fact that you enjoy Brittany But
8: yeah, it's more it's more a cultural thing. I mean, it's not an everyday thing right. anymore. But the the road signs are written in both languages. Yeah, uh, a lot of things are, are kind of trying to push as much as possible to keep it alive, but in, you don't find it in the street or in the shops or anything like that. But there's a spirit, a, a, a sort of a Britain pride. You it's see, it's the, you very see, very strong. That's one of the one of the strongest in France, with maybe Corsica, Basque Country, Alsace. Britain is one of those, those very, very strong feelings. You oh, see the flag a lot, black mm, and white yeah, stripes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a Breton TV or radio station? There is a Breton TV. There's a few radio stations which are mm-hmm. forecasting in, in, uh, in Breton language, ah. which I found always funny because I've been, I've been living there for a long time and, and, and going there very often when I was younger. <laughs> and you can hear the difference between a, a somebody who learned it from school yeah, I don't speak the language, but right. just by listening, you can yeah. hear it from a, a French person who learned it to somebody who really grew up with it. With their family speaking yes. this. Yeah,
0: it's very different. So this is Brittany. It's the west of France, uh, whereas most of France is Gaulish. If Britain is Celtic... But all well, of France was
8: Celtic. All of you France know, was we, Celtic. You know, we're talking about the same thing that in England. When the Anglo, the Saxon moved in,
0: they pushed the, the, the Britain, the Celts, further. That's exactly what happened in, in France. So in Britain, the Celts got the worst land because the stronger Angles and Saxons took England. Yes. And we get the Celtic people living in rocky, more difficult Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. The Britons have been pushed, the Celts have been left down there because the, the land was
8: not interesting. So anybody. that's Brittany. It's that rough, wild western tip of France. Exactly the same type of, of landscape, of climate than you've got in, in Ireland or, or in Wales.
0: So you, you feel that that sense that this is a proud land it's a rugged land now you your family's not from Brittany but you've spent a good part of your life in Yeah Brittany. I, I, my family's
8: from the southwest next to the Spanish border I grew up right. in north of France but uh, I 20 some years ago I decided to, to go down and live down there I knew the place already I've I've worked down there a few a few seasons a few yeah. years and uh, I love the I love the atmosphere I love the uh, it's Celtic it's Celtic it's you it's like that people. Celtic spirit yeah, the peak yeah, pe- a very nice spirit yeah
0: so what is the difference between uh, a Celtic flavor and uh, what you grew up with in the South of France? To
8: me the the most maybe the most striking part of it is the welcoming part. People welcome you in. People accept you into their culture They are they are open to the outside. Yeah. They, are, they are the end of the world. They yeah. are the Finistère, the, the end of the of the of the land. And they used to go outside to find a living and uh, and go sailing on one side. Or
0: weren't they famous uh, sailors in the absolutely. very very old huge. times? Yeah, yeah, so it was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
8: ports are big, and uh, and he works the other way around as well inland as well, coming inland in France. For a very long time, Brittany was a land of emigration, not immigration. Okay. France has been welcomed people from all over the world for centuries and centuries. Brittany's has stayed very secluded, and people were coming out of, of Brittany to go to Paris to work and stuff like that.
0: So, how would you say Brittany would be different from France if you're a tourist, in the in the food, and the culture? Uh, what is characteristic about Brittany? If you were going to go there and you had a checklist of things... Obviously, food. I mean, it's uh, the food, it's yeah. more uh, on the coast is seafood, of course, like uh, on
9: right. the coast
8: anywhere. But the, the core of of uh, Brittany food is the crepes and the galettes, which are
0: which these backwheat little crepes. So food. a galette is a, a is galette a is a savory, savory crepe, okay? Yeah, okay. Backwheat. Buckwheat. It's the same ingredients that you'd put in it, like on a pizza or something like that. It normally. isn't.
8: It's like the pizza. It was much more yeah. simple. I mean, yeah. the pizza has been used in. A, you can have a Hawaiian pizza now. So that's. Uh, that's, <laughs> no. uh, that's can a you have one. a
0: Hawaiian galette?
8: I'm <laughs> sure no, you can you, find it Hawaiian You galette do that if you look carefully enough. Yes, and then you with
0: your crepes, you have cider.
8: Yeah, and cider, and I mean, it's like in Normandy. You don't have. You don't. Have, the ground was not very good for for vineyards, so right. you had all apple, apple trees. Yeah. Was green. It was very wet, so apple trees were growing nicely. You but you French, cider.
0: you French are still very sophisticated about it. So, like fr- uh, wine has dry, semi-dry, and sweet. In apple cider, you also have brut.
8: Sophisticated in French to me doesn't work. I mean, I could we could develop that for, okay. like, that for hours. But, uh, but uh, for instance, in Brittany, when you drink some cider, you drink it in ceramic cups, like a bowl, like a bowl. Okay, yeah. it's called a bolet. And the reason behind that is they didn't have enough money to buy glasses. Oh, okay. that's as so simple as that.
0: And there is different kinds of cider. You've got dry oh, yeah, cider. Yeah, you've got
8: the dry, you've got the softer, the sweeter.
0: So maybe not sophisticated, but uh, developed because you have different kinds of yeah, cider. Yeah, of course.
8: I mean, if, yeah. you, if you do some cider,
0: you're going to be an expert at it
8: and you're going <laughs> to learn different ways to do it. That's... that's. Do you like your good.
0: cider uh, sweet or... I like it dry. Dry. I'm more dry.
8: But... Th- the difference is not huge. It's not like champagne, where you can straight away say it's oh, it's a sweet one, or it's a it's a dry one. Oh, okay, so the difference is not that huge. I mean, if you if you get a, a sweet instead of a, of a brut, and you prefer the brut, the sweet is still nice and
0: and drinkable. It's not uh, it's not that sweet. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm learning about cider, and I'm learning about Celtic culture, and I'm learning about Brittany, where our guide lives. Patrick Vidal joins us now. We're talking about Brittany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Bill's calling in from Montana, from Billings. Bill, thanks for your call.
10: Thank you for having me, gentlemen. How are you?
0: We're doing great. Do you have some thoughts about Brittany?
10: Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, my wife and I generally try to spend about a week up there every year. Sometimes it's a couple of days, but the, it's generally about a week. We generally go to Saint Malo, very much love that area, uh, the coast. The walking on the, the gr34 up there um, lots of hiking but we've kind of been up there four or five times and we're looking for maybe a, a more off the beaten path to go because san malo can be a very touristy area again with the walt city cancow yes yeah, uh, san
0: malo is kind of a, a sort of a postcard pretty city with these great walls and everybody goes there but you're right we got to get off the beaten path here before we get into that what is the gr34 that you've enjoyed walking on
10: that's it's a grand route uh basically in France there's these walking paths that go along the coast throughout throughout France. This mm-hmm. one's just determined as the G R thirty four. It's the one that runs along the coast of Brittany.
0: Okay. Is it worth uh spending a few days hiking on that?
10: Oh absolutely. Absolutely. We generally do shorter walks. We usually end up with uh seven or eight miles a day mm-hmm. on these. Most of it in Brittany is all along the coast. So you will be walking Within feet of the edge of the coast, um, is that on the uh, beach or is of... it
0: is it on a bluff? What's it like, uh, Bill?
10: Both, actually. Um, it continues through beaches and it goes along the coast. Uh, there's a good one in Dinard, where you start off the main beach there and you do about three miles up the up the coast. And some of them are very high bluffs, looking down on the ocean, and some of them are right hmm. with the water at your feet.
0: What's an off the beaten path? What's a, a beautiful, charming uh, keep,
8: dimension? Keep following the coast. I mean, that's, as, as long as you reach Saint-Malo, if you keep following the coast after that, you've got plenty, plenty of different places which are amazing, which are very, very uh, remote. Uh, you've got to the Cape uh, Freel, F-R-E-H-E-L. You've got to the Fort de la Latte, which is just before that. You've got fantastic walks around there. And then if you keep going, you pass Saint-Brieuc and you get all the coast with all the... Well, in France, the, uh, in Northern Brittany, that kind of places they call the, the Aber, A-B-E-R. It's like fjords. Ah, okay. It's like rivers coming in the thing there and very deep.
0: uh, Beautiful um, coastline, rugged coastline. Amazing. So if you have a rental car, you just drive along the coast. You'll find, you don't need a list of sites. You'll find charming towns. So you
8: got, you got what they call the pink granite coast uh, a little Uh bit further north. You got the Ile de Brea, which is fantastic. The northern part is definitely, the northern coast is definitely the more off the beaten tracks, the one there. The southern one is a bit more touristic.
0: You know, that's, Bill, that's interesting because I've never been able to get my brain around what do you see in Brittany, but I think, as Patrick is saying, you explore with your car and you find... There's not one famous village that everybody's going to go to. Just have a spirit of adventure and, and uh, drive along the coast in the north.
8: But there are, there, are f- there are a few big names.
0: I mean, if you want to see the standing
8: stones in Karnak, I yeah. mean, there's 5,000 stones standing up in lines in big fields, st- looks like a, like a dwarf little place there.
0: So this is from the same age as Stonehenge, same, same, but, but just we, much we, bigger.
8: We don't know. I mean, as much as right. we don't know that much about Stonehenge, we don't know about that much about Carnac. So there are a few places like that which are a bit more coming out of the, of the agenda. But, uh, but basically, yes, it is that. It is taking the car, going, walking around, going, going, discovering new little villages and, uh, and little towns. It's fantastic. All right.
0: Hey, Bill, thanks for your call. Hey,
10: thank you for having me, gentlemen. Have a good day.
0: Take care. We're looking at Celtic France right now on Travel with Rick Steves with tour guide Patrick Vidal as we explore his home region of Brittany. A reminder that we recorded this interview a few weeks before the COVID pandemic closed international borders last year. Lynn's calling in from Broadview Heights, Ohio. Hey, Lynn.
9: Yes. We um, took a trip to Brittany with our daughter for her first trip to Europe. And we wanted to have some goals, something for her to look forward to in those little towns, and we had decided to find the best crepe. And um, there was so many to choose from. We chose our home base to be Kemper, and then we would take day trips each day to spots within 45 minutes to an hour away with our rental car. And... We would try out the different craperies around Kemper and the different coastlines. Point Dura was one of our favorites and Benodet. Um just some neat, quaint cities to walk and then decide where to have our, our lunch and have some of that cider and and the seafood, the mussels were were outstanding.
5: Oh, so. the,
0: the mussels of Brittany are famous. And uh, Lynn, I'm curious, what was your favorite? I don't know about your famous crêperie, but what was your favorite kind of crepe? How did, what did you do, um, enjoy most?
9: They had they had so many savory crepes. My daughter started to enjoy the goat cheese with mushrooms, Ooh. and then some other ones had some potatoes, like diced potatoes in it, which were outstanding. I. I found out that they had a meat called andouille, which I thought was more of the sausage we have here in the States, but it's more of the intestines, and it was very <laughs> off-putting. So we we learned something, trying out everything. But so what's the name
0: so we can take notes and not make the same it, mistake?
9: It's um, andouille, and we we had some French-speaking um relatives with us and even the translation we were trying to say we don't want any of the the guts or the intestines but they were unable to translate our our need but and that was fine we we didn't find any that we couldn't finish couldn't stomach it was wonderful what <laughs> yeah, about what
0: stomach. what about your dessert crepes what did you enjoy
9: they had all the fresh fruit preserves so a lot of raspberry and and red berry preserves in with like a cream sauce like a sweet cream which is wonderful
0: nice and of
9: course the the chocolate crepe with the whipped cream
0: Oh, sounds decadent. Was
9: outstanding. Yeah. Oh
0: man! Hey, you know, you just happen to be talking to a man who has worked uh, running his own crepe stand, isn't that right, yeah, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So when you listen to, Lynn, yeah. <laughs> I saw you smiling about it. You you you've spent months and months making crepes for people. What's the? What do you look for if you're looking for a good creperie? And then, what did you enjoy serving the most for a savory galette and a sweet crepe?
8: I, savory. Originally, the original savory. Galette is uh, is a sausage one. Sausage? Yeah. Because oh, it's, a, it's uh, a round kind of thick sausage, mm-hmm. uh, which is normal sausage, but a country country type. But you, you slice it thin and, and you lay no, it? No, no. You no. just have it, it's like you a, just a hot have dog. the sausage and you roll. It's like a hot dog. A hot dog. It's the original hot dog. We invented the hot dog before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, so, uh, a bit it? of mustard in that. that galette saucisse. Galette, so, galette saucisse. saucisse. Yeah. So that's really the original one. That's the one people were grabbing and taking to go back to the fields. I see. That's that was the that was the easy sort of like the pasty in England. Yeah, absolutely. The Same yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The Celtic mm-hmm. people in Cornwall. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, you, and you have your uh, yeah. your crepe hot dog. Yeah. It was exactly the same thing. After that, they came into more uh, what they call a complete com- the complete. It means yeah. that you could you put an, an egg, you put some uh, melted cheese and some uh, some bacon. In it. What kind of cheese? Uh, gruyere type the uh, kind of Emmental French, French Swiss type of uh, not very yeah. expensive simple cheese and then for this for the dessert crepe what do you uh, use original it? dessert is butter and sugar yeah. that's all That's all it is originally that's what it was a for little bit purist. of butter a little bit of sugar and blah, 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 that's what it was after that you can get anything you want
0: you can have ice cream you mean and, so originally there wasn't Nutella no there
8: was not Nutella already
0: <laughs> 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 but I can tell you as a dessert crepe that's the one we sold the most that's, is that was Nutella? Nutella one? yes Lynn, you've striked up a good conversation oh, here.
9: it was. It, <laughs> it brings back such great memories and the super quick way they made the crepes was neat to watch in every crepery. You could see them making it. and oh,
0: I love the crepes. When I'm traveling in France, it's such a, a fun, easy, inexpensive, uh, tasty, quick meal. Oh, it works very well. Right? Very nice. Lynn, thanks for your call.
9: Oh, thank you so much. Okay,
0: take care. Bye-bye. And you know where well, you'll find
8: the, some of the best Gallets and crepes in France? Paris. Paris. <sighs> Remember what I said? Emigration?
0: Oh, that's right.
8: Yeah. I mean, a lot of Brittany people moved to moved to Paris. Paris is the largest Brittany town in France. There's more Brittany people. It's, it's fading away now. But uh, for a long time, there was more Brittany people in Paris than there was in any of the big towns in Rennes. In okay. Rennes, in Nantes, in you know, whatever there. Yeah. Because there was no jobs down there. There was no no economy. So everybody was moving up there and uh, a lot of the young lady would work as as nurses and stuff like that. And everybody arrived through the Montparnasse train station. And everything is around oh, the, all the old Brittany, the core of Paris-Brittany is around the Montparnasse train station.
0: Montparnasse, so you'll find some good crapperies exactly. there. Oh, exactly. There's yeah. something
8: like, there's one street, the rue d'Odessa, or there's something like 15 creperies, <laughs> one next to each other, and each one has the name of a little town. you got ah. the creperie of Camper, the creperie of something, the creperie of something. It's funny.
0: <laughs> it's, it's like being in Brittany. And in the other direction now, is is Brittany kind of a, a vacation escape for Parisians for the weekend, or is there that kind of back but and forth? Th- there
8: was this because kinda, they go
0: to Normandy a lot. In
8: a, in a ni- yes, they do. Normandy n- is Normandy is the, the
0: original one. They, the call, the original it the, original they call it the uh, 17th the, arrondissement uh, or something. 21st. 21st, 21st okay, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah,
8: nobody was a natural one originally because yeah. it was so close and so, so yeah. easy to go there. But um, what happened in Brittany is that it's, it stayed out of the, of the radar for a very long time. And in the 1980s, the, the French state realized that uh, this, this kind of place was so remote and so secluded. They needed to help them. We had the first road network, four carriageways uh, network in France, was uh, and it's a free one. As well, For no tolls to go from yeah. Brittany to Paris. Yeah, yeah, and, and all around Brittany. Oh, it's this one of the best preserved, the uh, well uh, best network of uh, of roads in, mm. in France. It's kind as of as a, gover- a French government mm. subsidy yeah, to, yeah, get, to, to try get Brittany to help them to develop and to uh, to get people there as well in and out. And uh, what decade would that
0: have been? Nineteen eighties, nineteen eighties, beginning of the nineties. You know, when I first started traveling in, in Brittany, somebody told me if you named your child a, a Celtic name, they would be in trouble with the government. It's, th- it's not Celtic specifically. For a very long time, you uh, were
8: supposed to use a name from the calendar. Ah. From the uh, saint of something there. Okay. It, it was nothing against B- okay. Celtic but culture specifically. It was anything.
0: <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking Brittany with Patrick Vidal. If I go to Brittany again, what is uh, one word I should definitely use that is a Breton word to uh, help me get a good welcome? Canavo. Canavo. K e
8: n a v o. Canavo is uh, saying hello in hello. Uh, in, in Brittany. Yeah. And how do you say goodbye? Uh, I don't. I don't even know how to say goodbye. I know a very more, much more important one. Yamat. Yamat. Which is cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Because uh, you Yamat. drink with when Britannia I have my bottle. cider, a bowl yeah. of cider. Yeah. You know, Brittany is the is the place in France where they've got the most trouble with alcohol as well, because it's a it's a big party place and people do drink
0: quite a lot. So so what is, they like to do the Yamat thing there. Yeah. And, yeah Yamet. Yeah, yeah. all right thank you very Cheers. much Patrick and uh, let's have welcome. a crepe and uh, Brittany on that uh, on the, the G what was the what was the trail again GR 34 GR 34 yeah. the wonders of the coast of Brittany and that beautiful Celtic culture thanks a lot
8: you're welcome
5: Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington, by Tim
4: Tatton, Kaz Hall, and Donna Bardsley. We get website support from Amerikitnicone. Affiliate relations are by Sheila Gurzoff. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Look for our show notes. They're updated each week at ricksteves.com radio. Stephen McPhillamy returns next week to tell us more about the storytelling role of
1: traditional songs in Ireland. And we'll look for you then, too, with more on Travel with Rick Steves.
0: Hey, I'm Rick Steves. In my latest book, For the Love of Europe, I share the highlights of a lifetime of exploring Europe, my favorite experiences, sights, and encounters in a 100 essays. If you love Europe, too, this is four decades of greatest hits in 400 pages made to order to stoke your travel dreams. You can order your copy of For the Love of Europe at ricksteves.com.